0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Library. I'm Dama Taminawala. Today, I am joined by Sim Minocha, as well as our special guest, Sam Mizrahi. Sam is the CEO of Mizrahi Developments and the mastermind behind The One. The One is currently under construction. It's a development located at the corner of Yonge and Bloor. For those not in Toronto, that's Toronto's two busiest subway lines. It will be the tallest building in Canada, standing at over 1,000 feet. This will be the second tallest structure in Canada, second only to the CN Tower. Its total project costs are estimated to be over a billion dollars, and it will be one of the most unique, exclusive, and special buildings in all of Canada. So we had a few questions for Sam. One, where did you come from? Uh, (laughs) How do you assemble uh, this A property of this magnitude dealing with 14 different personalities? How do you finance a billion-dollar project, and what makes it so unique? This is a really interesting episode. You guys are going to take a lot from it, especially if you enjoy development, commercial real estate brokerage, and entrepreneurship. Uh, Right before we dive in, I want to give a special shout-out to our sponsor, KMB Law. K&B Law are corporate real estate lawyers that specialize in the acquisition, disposition, and financing of commercial real estate. For the same reason that you have a commercial real estate broker to help you navigate complex leases, land transactions, apartment transactions, you're going to want to have a corporate real estate lawyer. canby Law are located in Mississauga. They're very quick, very fast, and they do Fantastic work. Give them a call. Uh, KMBLaw.com, KMBLaw.com. Those guys are awesome. Check them out and enjoy the interview. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Library. I'm Dama Taminawala. You know Sim Minocha, my co-host, and we're joined by Sam Mizrahi. Thanks Thank for, you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, and another one of these we're filming on location at 181 Davenport, which is the showroom mm-hmm. for the glorious one. The one, the one they call it, Bl- one Bloor West, the tallest yeah. building in Canada,
1: eighty-five yeah. stories, over a thousand feet. Uh, not, not a very small project to take on. So we're excited to hear your thoughts on how that project evolved into what it is today. Great.
0: Um, so d- just to start, like a, for a little bit of context, um, obviously the one is yeah the tallest. It's going to be the tallest building in Canada, tallest project. Um, but to rewind a little bit. Um, where you know w- what's a little bit about your history? Where did you where did you grow up? You're an, an immigrant from Iran, right? Yes. Um, and then, but mostly Toronto North and raised. Right. Or can you tell us a little yeah, bit? Yeah, I, the I immigrated
2: right. uh, from Iran in 1977, okay. uh, two years before the Islamic Revolution, and uh, we moved to Toronto with my family, and uh, I grew up in Toronto in York, mm-hmm. and York Mills and Baby neighborhood, and went to the public school system through there, and yeah. uh, basically uh, my first uh, entrepreneurial. Um, venture was in consumer electronics while I was still in high school selling batteries and uh, audio video cassettes so these are the is days before uh, you know DVDs and so forth of blank that, audio cassettes is that Unimax Unimax yeah Unimax and um, those were the days of VHS tapes and Sony and Maxell and TDK and Fuji and BSF and uh, um, I started out basically uh, with uh, you know, a couple of thousand dollars and uh, built a business up and ended up getting the distribution rights for Sony. Mm. And, uh, okay, well, hold on, hold yeah.
0: on. Just to, like, because we're going to get into everything, but okay. how, how does that happen? So you started this in what, grade nine, 10, 11? I was in grade, uh, 12. Okay, grade 12. Yeah. And, like, how does that business evolve? Because just get the business, r- the distribution rights for Sony. What is
2: Uh, we started to sell, you know, the, the business just sort of blossomed and grew just from, um, starting out with a couple of thousand dollars and then building it up to, you know, uh, multi-millions basically in, in volume. We were we were moving um, millions of cassettes mm. to, and I was selling them to that time, you know, companies like Price Club, Costco wasn't okay. around, it was called Price yep, Club Price at the time, Club. and uh, Honest Ed's, that was downtown yep. with Ed nice. Mervish and Bargain Heralds, and Byway, and Jean Couteau, and Giant Tiger, and Saint Laurent and, and Montreal, and, and to all the independent um, electronic stores that were, really everywhere in the late 80s. Right. Uh, like Young and Dundas, Young and Girard, they had all these independent um, entrepreneurial electronics stores.
1: So, so as, right. a, as a high school student doing a B2B business model, it sounds yeah. like that yeah. must have been uh, pretty unique. Did you find that all the senior people, obviously they were taking you very, very seriously. What was it that made you stand out to them as someone that they wanted to work for or work with? Sorry,
2: um, It was building relationships. What I learned at a very you know, young age was um, make friends before you need them. And, and to build rapport and build relationships and create a value system that everybody subscribed to. And, um, and part of that was to be the best at what you do. So if you're going to do anything, let's be the best at it and strive for perfection and put in the best systems, provide the best product or best service. Right. And really any business at the end of the day, they have one common denominator between all of them, whether I was in the electronics business, the dry cleaning business, or the development business, it's taking care of your customer. So in every business is, you know, primary is, you know, value system is take care of your customers and you do that right and you do that better than, you know, everyone else, you're going to be very successful at it. So um, the electronics business basically started from that, built it up to over $18 million um, in the late you know, early '90s, late '80s. I saw the introduction of laser discs come out, mm. um, and I realized that was going to be the end of the magnetics division, which is what it was called—the uh, blank audio/video cassette market. Right. And um, I started to look at other industries that I wanted to do startups in that hadn't been modernized. There was no national brand leader. Nobody had brought technology into it. And taking what I had learned from Sony. Sony taught me about you know uh, process systems ISO nine thousand and one systems which became very fundamental in all my other businesses marketing mm-hmm. packaging sales uh, branding distribution logistics I mean it was all you know financial engineering right um, I, I learned all from from Sony and from the B two B of selling to uh, you know uh, big box stores and retailers and. Being able to figure out how to deal with receivables and payables and factoring and all sorts of other
1: things. Yeah, that's that's truly scaling, right? I mean, right. Uh, going from being an entrepreneur and, and sort of not a one-man show, but having a small team around you, probably to working with the one of the largest companies that there is out there. Correct. Um, yeah. Learning all those systems must be very valuable. And and eighteen
0: million. How old are you at the time? And like, how many employees are eighteen years old now? Uh, incorporated, and uh, I had uh, under seven employees. <laughs> okay yeah at wow that time. that's and
2: fun and then from there basically um did a number of startups went into um uh, retail and, and and i saw that you know in 1991 that the dry cleaning industry was fragmented highly fragmented mom and pop shops nobody mm-hmm. had modernized it mm-hmm. nobody had brought technology into it environmental systems iso 9000 so uh, I launched a company uh, out of uh, California uh, called Dove Cleaners in 1992. Okay. So it was actually originated in Los Angeles. Okay. Uh, and I moved out to LA, and I was living in California for you know seven eight years, and I started Dove uh, out of LA in 92, and then brought it to Canada in 1994, and uh, built that uh, business up to 98 stores. Um, we ended up having the commercial contracts to Metro Toronto Police Department, uh, ambulance, EMS. Um, all the way to the TTC, along with 700 restaurants, mm-hmm. and doing all the commercial cleaning as well. Oh. Um, we were processing over 150,000 pieces mm-hmm. a week uh, in terms of garments and so forth, and built that up. Took it public, took it private, mm-hmm. uh, and then exited out of that uh, in 2000, and, uh, basically sevenish, and started um, the development uh, on the high rise and low rise, and basically mid developments and 2008.
1: And, and what was the first project that uh, you were involved with at Mizrahi Development?
2: First one was uh, building the most expensive home in Forest Hill at the time. Hmm. And it was a spec build and it was basically, I bought the lot and um, um, this is now 2008 call it. Mm. And uh, so you can imagine yeah. the timing <laughs> there, 2007-2008. <Yeah. laughs> yeah. a a bit bit so uh and uh went out to go build the best house and to build the best house in forest hill in, in in toronto and uh bought it zoned it uh got all the approvals did all the uh engineering with our architects and everything mm. and uh, uh started the construction company at the same time um, which we build all of our own product we don't uh, ever sub it out and uh, put started to put the iso 9001 systems that i had at at Unimax and that I had at Dove Cleaners and brought that into the real estate construction and
0: development world. And, and we were the first at that in 2008. What? Okay. Uh, my immediate question, I, the third time you mentioned the ISO uh, system, what is that? It's, <laughs> it's basically- you an, know what that is? Yeah. So it's an international <laughs>
2: okay. standard that basically says everything that you say you do and that you promise to do, you actually do. Okay. So it's really a, a auditing agency that comes out and audits you every year and verifies that all the great things that you tell everyone that you actually do and that goes into the quality control systems and all the back of house and everything that mm. you do, you actually do it. So, and so it's a third party check. Third
1: party. Third party, third party check yeah. KPMG
0: does it SGS SGSD. SG, it. Right. Right. So and third
1: party auditing firms. So.
0: And so then, like, by being audited by those guys, then I guess you have access then to the larger businesses? Correct. And, kind of and, and other
2: businesses and other lenders and investors and so forth know that you have process systems in place. Yeah. Right. And you're not just a people-oriented company, you have a process-oriented company. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's very important for execution risk because what you want to know is that the person you're doing business with has got an audited process system in place that you can verify mm-hmm. and validate. And that there are systems in place. And people take a great amount of comfort knowing that you have a flight plan. You have a process. And that process is independently verified and audited and that you're adhering to it. And that tells uh, the world uh, when you're doing business that um, uh, you can count on those systems uh, to represent what the brand and what the quality of what you're buying. And Sony taught me that which was very important.
1: So bringing that lesson in from Sony into real estate, how do you apply that same, called the verification of your processes? What processes do you use on the development side specifically? And on One blur, Uh we'll go into that project a little bit more, but just how are you bringing those same lessons into development specifically?
2: Um, by basically exceeding what code is, what the building code is, exceeding what mm. Um, what I call industry practices. So we, we look at industry practice, we look at code, and we look at that as being the base. Mm-hmm. And then we look at how can we exceed in each department, in each level, and um, uh, basically dial it up to be the best and to be a leader or innovator in that space for those specific areas. So if it's everything from uh, concrete testing to make sure the concrete, for example, is you know, the right MPA and poured and right. right, and engineer sign offs on them all the way to customer service evaluations and uh, being in touch with our customers, giving them surveys, learning from them what we're doing right, what we're doing not right, what we can do better, and then uh, using that as really a mirror to uh, continually improve the business and our process systems so that um, we develop better products, we develop better customer service experiences, we develop better warranty programs, we develop better um, engagement, basically.
1: And while doing that, um, sort of striving for the best, Does that allow you to not only get the values that you're looking for on the end product side, let's say just the sales price that you're looking for because you're building what is above and beyond what people are expecting, Um, but also does the city city look at that favorably in terms of allowing you to build uh, something that other people would not be able to build because you're exceeding those expectations? The one is a great example of that
2: uh, with the city. We had uh, incredible uh, what I would call City of Toronto support. From yeah. planning department, from city engineers, from um, all the way to even um, there wasn't a department I would I would say that didn't um, support us mm. and weren't sort of cheerleaders for what we were doing mm. uh, at the one which was you know coming in and saying to Canada and to City of Toronto we're going to build the tallest building in the world in Canada um, you know top twenty in the world um, we're going to do it with a the most complex engineering. Ever done in Canada with an exoskeleton um, and a hybrid, uh, you know, wall system? We're going to be putting mass dampers on, which hasn't been done before, uh, for swing and sway. We're going to be building a subway connection with a path connection underground. Mm. I mean, all of these are ones, right? Yeah. They're first offs, yeah. and um, and and this is going to be one of the most exclusive buildings in Canada. It'll be one of the most exclusive buildings in the world, and uh, they would look at it and see at that time, what we had done and delivered at 133 Hazelton mm-hmm. um, and 181 Davenport and uh, what we were doing even at 128 Hazelton and what we were doing in Ottawa, which won awards for landmark building and design. Right. And um, it gave them great comfort because they saw we could execute and they saw that we were executing um, and, and, you know, the building spoke for themselves, the homeowners who live in the building speak for themselves, um, on that we work with that does the home warranty programs yep. for mm-hmm. all these, you know, we just got nominated this year uh, uh, for the highest award uh, in Tarion, uh for um, customer experience, customer warranty and not having any claims. We've not had one zero. We had zero claims with Terion with, wow. with, uh, oh. in 10 years, which is yeah. very rare. <laughs> And uh, and we got you know nominated for the highest award by Tarion this year for that. So those recognitions, Congrats. thank you. That's came awesome. That's amazing. Came a lot from those systems. And I, I contribute that to not only the value system that we created, but the systems we created with the ISO nine thousand. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and what the brand
0: you know you know really is entailing, which is to achieve excellence. Okay. Um. Okay, I wanna. We might af- off camera. We might have to talk more about the. I, I got an <laughs> ISO nine thousand. My my entire business plan here. <laughs> but, um, it's a good plan. So uh, to to get right into the the meat and potatoes of the of the conversation, how so uh, j- a, a little contest. Obviously, I work at Colliers. Yeah. In my uh, we like Colliers. Yeah. We do business <laughs> with Colliers as well. Yeah, good great Canadian company. It is. Um, but it, in my within my company, a lot of the times people will say. Oh, I got, I have this assembly opportunity yeah. and like everybody just starts rolling their eyes. Like it's, it's nearly impossible, right? It's the, the chances of it happening. Right. Um, that's all we do. E- exactly. Right. <laughs> so, that's all and, we do. and so just, um, can you talk about how the project got started? Um, working with uh, st- stoleries, stories, right? Um, the suit. There's a suit company, right? Correct. Cloth- okay. Men's clothing company. Men's clothing company. Yeah. Because um, I remember, you know, we're we're young guys. And I remember 117 mo- years old. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. My mom was sending me to the sale after sure. you guys bought them, right? <laughs> or their clearance sale. So, um, can you talk about that experience of how you developed that relationship, acquired the property, and yeah. all the
2: others it, it, it's really no different than what I was doing my whole life um, which is building relationships and uh, every property that I ever purchased was assembled privately off market hmm. so we've nev- we actually haven't done a development to date that did not have off market private assembly done yeah and um, what you know what I do is basically look at where um, the city and the community really wants a redevelopment to occur, and nobody has really initiated it because um, the assembly that's required to become large enough to make a meaningful impact to that community just wasn't for sale. right? Or it came in pieces where Mm -hmm. one would come up for sale, but it wouldn't work because you needed a much larger land massing to do it. And so you really couldn't do anything with it. And and what would happen over time is these communities would grow and, and mature, and other developments would take place all around them, like you see at Young and Bluer. Yeah. And then you have this one store or this one area um, that's left that's left undeveloped, right? What I call underdeveloped. So with Young and Bluer, for example, the, the key was not just Stolleries. Stolleries was only one piece of uh, real estate. You had to assemble all the way to the west of Stolleries hmm. and all the way south of Stolleries. So I had to deal with 14 different individuals to assemble yeah. who were not, who none of them were vendors, yeah. right? None of them were, were, looking to sell. Nothing was, so it's not right. just, it wasn't just Stoleries. Stoleries was a, what I'd call, um, you know, a very key piece right. in the puzzle, the key piece in the puzzle, because without the corner, the rest is irrelevant to some degree. Mm-hmm. And, right. but at the same time they had a symbiotic relationship where, if you just bought, if I just bought Stolaris on its own, we wouldn't be building the one, mm. right? Because Stolaris on its own was not large enough in terms of its square footage yeah, to do anything right. with. How many square feet is that? I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, our current assembly is twenty eight thousand okay. square feet. GFA? G, uh, no, of land. Oh, sorry. On, yeah. on not no, GFA. Land, GFA yeah. is over one, point, one point. Is over a million. but the land is the land. You know, we assembled that I that I put together was over twenty eight thousand square feet. So you needed that type of massing, which involved buying the stores on Young Street, 760, 770, right. 742, all of those that went out. So I had to assemble Stoleries, but make the deal conditional upon me assembling the balance of mm-hmm. the, the Young Street properties and uh, the balance of the properties to the West hmm. on Bloor Street as well, which involved um, 13, 15 and uh, Bloor Street West as well. So it was more than just the corner right. and, and none of the other properties would work without the corner and the corner wouldn't have worked without the other property. So there was a symbiotic mm-hmm. relationship that was very important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, understanding that I went in and started to build a relationship in parallel, not only with the Stollery family and Ed Whaley, who was the partner in the store and and what I would call sort of the strategic mind of the store where you bought your suits from. Right. Um, and many other people did, but also all the other family members that were involved, plus all the other family members and vendors south and west at the same time. Okay. So it was 14 different people.
0: So it you kind of spend a day there and just go in. I spent many days. I spent <laughs> months. I spent 9 months. It say. took 9 months right. of so, building rapport. So how uh, like from that first conversation What's the pitch? Are you the first through? conversation? He basically was very polite and
2: threw me out of the store. Okay, it, it was very politely said to me. You know, it's not for sale. Thanks, no thanks. Thanks, no thanks. And yeah. um, you know, and uh, I don't even know who you are, and uh, never heard of you. Right. And you know, this is the most important corner in Canada. And, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. do you know how many developers come, come to every, me day. <laughs> every day and right. ask me to sell this property? And right. I and tell, and you're going to get the same answer as every other developer, which is no, I'm not interested. And um, and I said, "Great, that's fine." Yeah. And then basically, um, I changed it from wanting to come and see him to buy the store, to wanting to come and see him to just talk about life and huh. about the market. Okay. And about retail. Um, you know, he loved retail. He loved. Um, uh, uh, he's passed now. He just passed away last year. Huh. But uh, in the years, you know, that I was with him, it was. You know, he loved retail, he loved to talk about the market, he loved to talk about Bloor Street, he loved to talk about, and so we engaged in meaningful conversation about, you know, just generally the market, retailing, buildings, architecture, um, clothing, the retail, you know, and I had experience in retail, and I mm-hmm. right. knew a lot about clothing because, you know, I was cleaning a hundred and you right, know, yeah, yeah. millions <laughs> of pieces, I, right. I knew the brands, and I knew everything, and basically um, started to build, build a rapport with them over eight, nine months, and about values, and about you know, um, what's important for the city, what's important for the community, how the landscape's changing. And then one day, um, you know, I got a call from him to come and meet with him for coffee like mm-hmm. I normally did. And, and basically he told me today's that, you know, came and met with him and he said, I'm ready, you know, I'm selling it to you. I Because I want to sell it to you. And, and it, for him, it wasn't just about the sale. It was, it was really about passing the torch, right? Where, you know, the family stories, family, you know, was, we're the second owner in the history of that location on land titles it was her majesty the queen right then wow. it was the Stollery family for 100 and i think 114 to 117 years something like that and then we were the second like there was only two names mm. on the on the land yeah tra- Crown. Where, no, where yeah where normally Crown. you look at yeah. you know land transfer titles and there's you know multiple names so for him it was really you know it's a legacy and it's a matter of you know passing it to the to someone who's going to uh, be the custodian of that and to take care of that in the same value system that he held it up to. And he knew, and I, and when I asked him, I said, you know, he w- I mean, really what it was for him is, is not to have it, have no compromises, hmm. to do something great and not to compromise on those values. And that's what we delivered on. That's what you specialize in. That's what we specialize in. So it was a very easy promise to deliver on for us.
1: Mm-hmm. And so when you had the owners agree to sell you the different parcels, let's say the, the 13 or 15 different spaces, were you were you also tying in the approval process uh, at that time, like having an extended closing to take it through the zoning process? And go ahead if you have any other questions.
0: So, then. Sorry, how do you like that? Is getting one person is like yeah okay fourteen yeah no, but I mean like <laughs> yeah. getting Ed to yeah, to, to get on board and yeah. you know building a relationship with him. How do you get all the other people? And once you once he eventually gives you um, the nod, which I can imagine his blessing, I call it. His blessing, yeah. I, can, I can imagine you trying not to be like celebrating too hard as that's happening.
2: I wasn't celebrating too hard. I was celebrating the moment because it was a key moment in everything that we see today. Right. Still, but I still was very um, the project is realistic because I realized now my real work began. Right. Because I had to now um, get all the other landowners to also agree to sell. Right. And uh, which I was, you know, nurturing and building those relationships and those conversations over the months. But you know, nobody believed that Ed was, or the stories family was a vendor. So those conversations, you know, even when I went to them and I said, you know, I have the corner, they didn't believe me. Right. Because they're mm-hmm. like, no, we've heard that before. So they actually picked up the phone and called the family and Ed Whaley and said, you know, huh this, you know, this guy, Sam is right. Who is this guy? Right. Who is this guy? And he's, you know, he's (laughs) saying that he's got it. And Mm -hmm. you know, is it true? And Ed said, yes. Wow. And that was the
0: main, you know, game changer. And so, but, and then how do you get those guys to also give their blessing? Because as soon as they hear that he, one domino is gone, they say, oh, but now mine's the key piece. Correct. And, and we, we did have to deal with a lot of
2: what, what I would say, uh, other people saying, yeah. uh, It's the key piece, and you can't do it without me. And you get into all of those uh, types of uh, emotions and all of those. But at the end of the day, um, you know, a lot of people do the right thing. And Hmm. everybody understood how important this was for the city and how important this was for the country and how important this was um, for what we wanted to develop. And I was sharing with them my vision for the site and what we wanted to do and um and i and and you know they were part of that vision over months and so they became everyone became what i would say emotionally invested right in the success of the project in the, the success project. of the project because behind the scenes they were really cheerleaders hmm. and they wanted to see this so they're really part of this legacy and they're part of the one and what we're building and what will come to be because without them it, it wouldn't be possible you know, as, you know, the old saying goes, it takes more than one person to put a man on the moon. Right. And mm-hmm. it's really one of those stories where it, 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 it's true. And um, every one of those vendors is part of the fabric. Uh, you know, I consider every one of them as important as Ed Whaley and the stories family because any one of them could have said no. Right. And at that point,
0: you know, we wouldn't be here today talking about it. How, how do you... Uh, and last question before we move on to the actual project sure. itself. How do you expedite that process from, um, like, obviously their conversations with Ed helped, but how do you say, okay, look, you know, we're going to move forward with this? Because you have a contract with Ed, right? you got to deal within that timeline. So are you saying, um, you know, uh, you know what? We're, we have enough people to the West. We have a, a good Correct. enough floor plate. We can build yeah, up right the, now. The floor plate was actually bigger, and we
2: had people that didn't come on board. Hmm. So, you know, my floor plate was actually bigger than what the ones is today. It was actually to go much further than that. Um, And we just couldn't get it done in time. Or we ran into other challenges at the time. And everything from, you know, uh, timing of getting everybody closed, timing of getting everybody to agree for the closing, to pricing, to uh, expectations. And we now had enough what I call critical mass that... um, and velocity in terms of everything that we were doing where we just said, okay, we're going to cut it off. We got enough of a site. It's big enough. It's going to work. It's going to be able to do what we want to achieve. And let's just execute it now. Right. And those who are on board are on board and those who aren't on board aren't on board, but we'll design and and make the building engineered so that in the future, if they want to come on board to the South or the West, we can incorporate them into mm. the development. So I was forward thinking, and, and if you look at the designs of the building today, they now that I sort of share this with you, you can see how the business, how the building, can expand both south and west and integrate those assemblies
0: in in the future if you know uh, right. the stars align for it. Huh, Okay, um, okay, and then okay, so let's just let's just get right into it then. So. Uh, the day that you execute the contract and yeah. you close, um, what happens next? There's amazing know. celebration. Cause that was, a <laughs>
2: <good day. laughs> right. uh, that was in, uh, that was October 20th, 2014. Okay. And, uh, I remember that day cause it was very key for me and, uh, I knew that was going to be the, the start of something, uh, amazing and, and really again, you know, the, the beginning of a lot of hard work, right? Which is, you know, now, you know, now you own the site, you have it, and now the real respon—you know—the real responsibilities are coming down, which is we got to get the zoning, yeah. we got to get the site plan approvals, we have to have, um, you know, the consensus of the community, the buildings department, rate payers association, you know, the community associations, the neighbors, uh, really, you know, everyone. Right. And, um, total, total price tag, by the way, for context of the land at that time, uh, two hundred twenty-seven million. Okay. Which at that time, everyone, you know, was. Yeah you know, that was one of the highest prices ever paid in, in Canada. Right. Um, and, um, and it was, you know, worth every penny because there's only one Bloor street West mm-hmm. and, and to assemble that type of massing, you just couldn't do it. It just, you know, I mean, you look at the other four corners, the other, th- you know, the other three corners, you can't do anything like those are done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So this is the last of its kind. Right. And, um, So we closed on it and then really went to work, which was to do the leasing, do the zoning, um, uh, do the engineering, do the architecture, uh, work with all the stakeholders, and have the building evolve uh, to be really the voice of the City of Toronto. Because it wasn't, it wasn't, my building, it was it was really the, the city and the country's building, and, and all and what you see. And we and the building went through many different variations mm. until we got to the final design because we had working group meetings with the counselor and stakeholders, and we were listening to what the community wanted, and we engineered that into the building, both in terms of architecture, heritage, all sorts of things, and and we went through challenges where you know um, when we first took down Stollery's. There was a lot of controversy with that, right? Mm -hmm. And not everybody was very happy with me, with with what we
0: did, and a lot of negative press. A lot of negative press at that time, and you know,
2: oh yeah, and you know, my head went on a, you know, like it was, it was, um, but you know, to me, I think anytime anyone does something that is um, uh, meaningful, meaningful, um, you're going to get that type of impact and that type of what I'd say, um, you're going to go through those types of challenges, right? Because I think it's, it's what I call the rite of passage. Uh, you know, you're going to go through that and, and, uh, and, and, you know, we, we understood it. I understood it. Um, and we complied with everything and which is why you, you even see now there's still a heritage building on the site mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. didn't, which is now incorporated into yes. it. Uh, actually the whole building not just the wall; it's it's, it's a full building, full there, building okay. there that's going to be incorporated in, and we again listened. The one know, on the southwest corner, on the, on the south uh, oh, south of Bloor, south on the west side yeah. of Yunk. Yeah, yeah. And um and we and we accommodated heritage and we accommodated what everybody uh concerns were, and so so all of it wasn't without challenges. It was, and you know what? When I look back, actually, I I think back of sort of the dots connecting and, and what we went through. And actually, we got a better building out of it. Hmm. So, all of even the hardships and the challenges that went through it and the evolution, I look at it as actually a blessing in disguise because it actually made us have to work harder at creating a better building. Right. You know, with the constraints. So, there's nothing, you know, I think constraints and boundaries bring out the best creativity. Right. When you actually don't have any restraints and you don't have any boundaries, I think that's actually more. You know, difficult. W- was but the
1: w- original plan to actually build it out the way that, in terms of building, call it the the center portion first yeah. and expanding out with the exoskeleton? There is, is was that the original plan when you had, or was that something that evolved with the different constraints? So, so the and ex- when he walked through the through exoskeleton, the actual, yeah, the exoskeleton. Walk us through how it's actually being built. Built, okay, and, and why how, the exoskeleton and why that
2: so being done. the exoskeleton came from really one thing. It was how do I wanted to build what I called uncontaminated retail space. Hmm. uncontaminated retail space um, by my definition is to have no columns no pillars in the space so that you can the 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 tenant can basically create a customer experience with with a magic wand to be able to do whatever they want for their brand experience and for the pedestrian experience on Hmm. Young and Bloor with having sight lines and visibilities Without having a column or a pillar that's structural in the way of that sight line. So you basically have, you know, you have a blue sky that you can basically do anything you want with. Right. And nobody had created that in Canada, it just didn't exist, especially on our high street, which is Bloor Street. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and if you go to cities like New York on Fifth Avenue, you go to Michigan Avenue in Chicago, or you go to, you know, Ginza in Japan or, Knightsbridge or you know any city around the world Hong Kong you have all these super flagship stores that are there right right and Toronto never had that like we never you, you, we don't we never had one store uh, on the retail that was a super flag the way the Fifth Avenue did mm-hmm. or you know Michigan Avenue does you know with multi-story and you know and when I went to the retailers and I asked them you know why and they said well you nobody here has the space nobody's created this type of space. So I said, well, what's the space that you would want? And they said, well, you know, we want to have space with no columns and no pillars. And like, I know that's like impossible. And I'm like, it isn't Hmm. like, if that's what you want, we'll create it. Yeah. And, um, so when I went and met Just with sign this lease, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's actually, yeah. I mean, our, our, our anchor tenant was, was like that. And basically the anchor tenant said, if you can create the space, we'll sign the lease. Right. Have you guys, and,
1: uh, I know you guys have made that sort of a lot of people in the space know who the anchor tenant is, but has it been publicly announced? Yet? No, not okay, yet. Um, the anchor oh.
2: tenant is going to publicly announce it. Um, okay. we are going to be making announcements very shortly because the building's fully leased now. Okay. So it's, um, um, and we're going to put those out, uh, this year. Great. Um, and, uh, but you're, to your point, yeah, the anchor tenant, we actually reverse engineered the building with them and, um, and they believed it was possible and I believed it was possible and my architect believed it was, it was possible. And so right. I was choosing an architect and I, and I interviewed many architects mm. and, um, I wanted an architect that would understand the fabric of the country, not just the city. Right. But because this is much bigger than Toronto. And I wanted an architect who um never looked at a problem and said it can't be done. I wanted somebody who looked at every problem and looked at how it could be done, rather than saying, No, it's not mm-hmm. possible, which is what everybody says. Right. So when I met him, I actually met him in Europe and um you know he you know norman foster is one of the greatest architects in the world and um at first you know he actually selects you know he's at a point where they select which pro- projects mm-hmm. they want to do because nice. it's not just us saying we want him he has also to say you know i want you we want you <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, and dance. Yeah. And basically, <laughs> you know, I said, you know, do you want to come and build the tallest building in Canada? Do you want to come and build the most meaningful building in Canada? Do you want to come and build something that's going to be a legacy in Canada? Right. And we need to do something that nobody else has done, which is to build this uncontaminated retail space mm. and rechange and reformat the entire, um, landscape of high street retail on Bloor. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, uh, he, you know, that Foster and Partners took that challenge on and basically they designed something that was able to articulate the craft and the art that we wanted to explore. Because the buildings I develop is really my art. Mm-hmm. So the way I sort of express my art is not on a canvas or, you know, sculpture. Or, um, I do it in the architecture and the developments that mm. we do. So that's how I express it. And he was able to take the vision of, what I wanted to do there and articulate it, engineer it and to make it work. And the only way we could make it work is exoskeleton Hmm. because if you're not going to have any columns or pillars on the inside of the building that holds the whole building up, that has to go on the outside. Right. And so, um, he came up with this, um, ingenious idea and I didn't know what exoskeleton meant when (laughs) when he first told me this, I was like, what does that mean? Hmm. I didn't even understand it. And then he said, you know, we're going to put the structure that holds everything outside and you'll get what you want. And remember, this is on top of holding an 85-story yeah. building how, on top of the retail. How deep mm. do you got to go
1: to do that? A hundred and, <laughs> 143 geez. feet. Oh, my God. So if you go and look. Is at that younger, the deepest yeah. dig? It must be the deepest yeah. dig. Yeah, I mean,
2: it's mining. Yeah. that's So the technology that we're using is actually mining because you're 143 feet down mm. uh, to bedrock. So the <laughs> pillars and the mega columns go all the way down to bedrock. So you've got to support. A, you know 300 and plus yeah. meter building huh. uh, plus you have the subway right plus <laughs> you have a concourse and now you got to hold an 85 story building on top of you know um, retail space that has no columns or pillars. yeah with-
0: <laughs> so it's it's what, what sort of things would people not traditionally think about with a project like that like digging a hundred over a hundred feet deep what is, it, is it getting hot down there? Or no, literally? well, the soils are. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's
2: funny when we were drilling in the wintertime, you could see the steam coming out because the earth is warm. And as you go mm-hmm. deeper, the the warmer the the soils and the earth is. So you would we would dig and we would be going down 143. And when uh, the the shoring rigs and the and the uh, piling and 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 all of our um, augers were coming back up, mm-hmm. you could see the steam rising hmm. from the earth. Wow. It was it's an amazing thing to see. Um, there's so many things. I mean, really, it's innovation. It's, um, it, it's, it's uh, doing something that you know, hasn't been done before and putting together you know, the best team to do it. So we went after, and I sort of went, and, and I sort of always consider myself more like you know, as a conductor. Right. You know, I don't know how to play the violin, but I'm going to bring in the best violinist. Right. And I know what it should sound like, mm-hmm. and I know how it should play in concert with everyone else. So we're going to go bring the best violinist, the best celloist, the best percussionist, and we're going to make it work in concert. And mm-hmm. so I went out and got the best structural engineer, the best, you know, um, uh, acoustic engineers, the best soil engineers, the best of everyone where everybody was really a Wayne Gretzky in right. their world. And everybody was the one in their sector. And when you get that, you get passion. So people aren't just there because of the job they're passionate about what they do, mm-hmm. which is why they're the ones in their industry. Hmm. Um, you know, if you look at Steve Jobs for example, he's passionate about what he does, which is why Apple is what it is. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, reflected it it's reflected the through area. everything. And their standards are, correct, are in line with your standards. Correct. Right, which is build top the best product be in the, the best, world yeah. and and change the world and to do something different. Yeah. And um, so you know, we look at um, we looked at that and said we're going to bring in the best people. And so we put together, I would say, the best construction team, uh, one of the best construction teams in Canada and executed it. And, you know, we go down to 143 feet. we got mining technology that's going in there. We've got innovation that's been the first of its kind in Canada being done. Um, and uh, For instance? Well, we've got, um, if you look at even our construction offices that we built on Bloor and Young, right? the sea yeah, cans yeah. C- mm-hmm. and the sea containers right. it's never been done in Canada before mm-hmm. like that. Um, we, you know, we brought that innovation in and, and, and now I feel like you see more of it. Right. Well, after we did it, yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, which is great. I'm, I'm happy with that because it inspires people to think differently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, um, we did that because of the, the, the the size of the site you're at young and Bloor, you don't have you know, a lot of space, you got over 400,000 people that go through that intersection every yeah. 24 hours. Mm. It's the highest visibility site and you got to build the tallest building and <laughs> you got to operate and how you're going to, you know, where you're going to put, you know, construction site equipment, offices, and there's a lot of people that go into building this building. Right. And so there's only so
1: many Mizrahi pylons you can put up. Exactly. <laughs> and so, um,
2: so we, we came up with this, you know, concept of using the sea containers, converting them into offices and piling them on top of each other like Lego, yeah. where they take up, you know, 15 feet. Yeah, it's and, awesome. And uh, so it's and cool. it works, right? And so, they play music. And right? they play, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And we yeah, put yeah. the music in yeah. to create more of an atmosphere. So yeah. it's nice. Um, that's when it, we also have the tall, you know, we have the, um, the biggest crane in Canada that's ever been erected, which is in... The uh, one that's up there uh, right, right now. ...Jangan yeah. Bloor. Yep. Um, uh, there was a lot of press on that as well that, that came out of urban Toronto, covered that. Hmm. And, uh, really, I would say 75% of what we're doing there is a really first of its kind in terms right. of equipment, in terms of engineering. I mean, Lieber, Lieber had to bring that in from Germany. So it was the first, you know, they built it and they actually brought it in
0: overseas wow. because th- nobody has it. Can you speak to the, uh, the building out strategy that Simmon mentioned earlier? Sure. Uh, in terms of building out from... Like uh, so, so, now, yeah, so now you're seeing it at CIBC uh, Tower uh, down on front, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. um. It looks like they're just building up the elevator, and uh, I remember s- seeing that building for the first time and saying, "Well, I oh, thought it was yeah. going to be a lot bigger than that, um, but obviously it is." So, like, how does that process work, and why is it different?
2: You, um, we're using a jump system to build it out, right? okay. and so um, the jump system is different than the traditional systems of how buildings are, are formed, where you're doing it in modules. We're mm-hmm. we're doing also a lot That's of right. things off site. Mm -hmm. and assembling off-site and then bringing them and then putting them down, you know, building it almost like Lego, where it it builds up. Um, And the jump system comes in modules where you're using the elevator shaft systems and the elevators to jump the building up, uh, rather than traditional fly forms of what you saw uh, before. Mm -hmm. This allows you to build the building much quicker, it's more efficient, it's safer, and also, you have to keep in mind uh, when you're building out a building like this. When you're when you're going, you know, at 85 stories, and our 85 stories is more like 115 stories, 100 How, stories, because well, of the retail. because of our retail height yeah. and the heights right now? It's uh, 34 feet. Oof, wow. And remember, we have 18 floors of retail. Wow. Right. So our residential feet. floor starts at 19. Our retail is at goes to 18 because we have. Um, Our anchor tenant, which takes up the ground floor and the concourse. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're on two floors. And then we have, you know, two floors of hospitality uh, restaurants that are going in that are international Mm -hmm. and event space as well. And then we have a hotel, um, which is 11 floors, uh, which will be 165 to 185 uh, room hotel as well. So um, it's really 18 you know, 18 floors and then Mm. the 19th floor is the residence. But to to go back to this, um, what, what, what I was getting at with the, with the jump system is that, um, it allows you to basically efficiently build, but more importantly, when you start to get up to 60 stories, 70 stories, 80 stories, the wind Hmm. and becomes a major factor Mm -hmm. and weather and so forth. It's not like you're at 12 stories. (laughs) So we're able to wrap, um, the building in these modules. To protect everyone inside from the wind oh. at 80 stories and 70 stories that are working.
0: Like so somebody's not just going to be blown off. Correct. The side of the or, building. Or,
2: or, <laughs> or 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 not to have any materials uh, move. Right. Or, and also with the weather and climate systems we have in Canada, you know, I would argue six, seven months of the year, you've got, you know, uh, weather that's not ideal for construction. Right. Right. Just got to learn what to do with that. Right. Turn that weakness into strength. Mm. And uh, the way we did it is to put a wrap around the building in these jump system modules, so it protects not only the workers but protects the environment inside, where it's heated. Nothing can move if it's snowing or freezing rain outside, and it's minus twenty. Nobody will know right. <laughs> inside, right? It's it's a cocoon, and that cocoon moves up the building in you know ten story increments at a time. <laughs> so,
1: and uh, just obviously since twenty fourteen, it's been what five five years now, right? So mm. five years since then, and it's going to be a few more years now before the residential. Pro- components opened up probably, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, construction costs have skyrocketed in a lot of ways, but as have a lot of the condo prices since that time. So do you think that that's been a positive thing for you? The fact that the the prices have sort of gone up or do you think that the the condo construction cost increase has sort of? Well, no, the
2: construction uh, costs have gone up, um, across all of Canada. Uh, Uh, so we were very cognizant of that. And because yeah. we build our own buildings and we're the GC on our buildings, we saw that coming yeah. in, in, in a lot of it. and we were sort of on the front lines of seeing these pricing change from the subcontractors and, and it had to do with just supply demand and the fact that you know Toronto has got more construction cranes than mm-hmm. any other city in North America right So we're very lucky we're very blessed and grateful to the fact that our economy is doing so great, um, especially in, in the real estate. But what that does is, it puts a lot of pressure on the number of trades that you have available, and you don't have enough, basically, subcontractors to to, to provide the supply to the demand that's being done. Right. So pricing rate, you know, the pricing went up, um, labor went up, cost of materials went up, steel went up, glass mm-hmm. went up, everything, and, and it's just supply-demand uh, uh, concerns. So um, we saw that, and when we were developing the one and putting in the pricing structures and so forth, we were able to... Understand what our true costs were prior to launching, huh. and then being able to um, augment those costs into our structures to make sure that we had a, uh, a viable project and one that you know um, we wouldn't get into, and then you know find out that it, it was not viable and have to cancel the project right. before construction, mm-hmm. like, like we're uh, seeing, like we're seeing right? Four thousand units right. last year, right? Right, uh, and even one last, you know, yeah. last week that they can't cancel. No. So, and the reason is is that they pre-sold the building. And then, then they came to do the construction contracts, mm-hmm. right? Have and you've or, and you've anything. got a fixed and, locked it,
1: locked it, yeah, you, and you got a
2: fixed revenue, revenue. Yeah. right? So, so th- you can't move. So yeah. Yeah. we did it. We did it the other way around.
1: So do you have yeah. an adaptive pre-sale strategy then? That's sort of in line with, or did, did you have an adaptive pre-sale? Well, we didn't pre-sell, pre-sell the building.
2: Point. We actually didn't. That point. So we we've now sold seventy seven percent right? of yeah. the building, and we did that all in the last um, sixteen months. So it's actually 14 months. So we didn't go to pre-sales until basically, um, 2018.
1: And you actually must've pre-leased the, and and we were a hundred percent leased before. I was going to say that retail must've all been pre-leased from what I, my understanding is
2: (coughs) prior to that. So the leasing, we knew where we were at. That's the opposite of most developers. Correct. Most, most Mm. developers don't even, don't even do the leasing. They
1: don't even do the leasing oftentimes. (laughs) For us,
2: for me, the strategy was to get the retail leasing done first, Mm -hmm. uh, because, I thought that was the most, um, strategically It was the most important, especially with our anchor tenant. And that location. And Um, that location. And and And, um, retail is one of the hardest, in my opinion, in terms of putting in the right tenant to the right store, to the right location, right rental rate, everything, you know, all the the stars have to align perfectly. So to me, um, it was more important for me to get the retail right, because if the retail we got perfectly right, which we, you know, we did. Mm. Um, the rest of it will take care of itself. I d- never had any doubt about the residential condominium market in Toronto because it's so strong. Right, And to come out early and to uh, pre-sell the residential, to me, didn't make sense because the building was evolving and we were evolving based on the retail tenants. So for me to have a final product, it was based on where we were on the final on the retail evolve the residential to to become the most current form of it. Um, Find out really what the residential customer wants. You know, let the customer tell you what they want and start to reverse engineer the residential to mirror what the customer wants. So we spent three and a half years listening to the customer, the residential customer, the Mm. same way that we listen to the retail customer. And that timeline of us learning about what the customer wanted Everybody won. It was a win-win scenario. The customer won because the homeowner, um, which I, you know, I'm referring to the customer in this thing, but the homeowner basically got to design the building they want to live in. Mm-hmm. We won because we were able to deliver that promise to them. And the pricing in terms of our investors and everyone else of knowing how to structure that and what the costing will be based on when we launched, we had uh, essentially the building under construction. So we didn't go to the pre-sales. We didn't do the pre-sales before we started, until after we started construction. We started construction in June of 2017, and we went into the pre-sales for the residential in 2018. So we knew what our costs were before we launched.
0: That's why it's... Okay. So that's why it's such a different project. So, and then I mean, per- everything we did backwards, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. We didn't think
1: about it with a project of that magnitude right, right, from a of- financing standpoint, uh, construction lenders, I mean, they want to see that you're at 75% pre-sale before you can start digging or, or anything. You're hundred percent.
2: Like Our construction lenders um, didn't require that yep. because they knew, well, number one, the retail uh, really paid for the project. Yeah, that's in, 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 a sense, in essence, right? Hmm. Um, in, in, in a lot of ways. And um, our lenders, specifically our construction lenders, and mo- I would say all of our lenders, not even our construction, mm. lenders, all of our lenders had complete confidence that we were going to execute the residential. Right. There was never any doubt in their mind. So they knew the residential. They had very good confidence with that. But to risk it, mitigate, we had the retail.
0: Is there, sorry, sorry this might be, we might have to edit this out, but are you able to share the rates? of, cause like bluer is just, I get blown away of the rates. Are you, is the that? Rental rates
1: mean? The, yeah. I okay, mean, retail, so retail rental rates. rates get in.
0: It,
2: they're the, they're the highest rates in Canada. Okay. Um, so whatever you think, is <laughs> a, what, what, I would tell you that whatever, um, retail rental rates that you've seen in the past, um, historically, right. Yeah, they're higher than those by right. a very big margin. A,
0: above and or below 400? Oh, uh, above. Okay. Okay.
1: All right. Okay. Well, right. Uh, <laughs> I, I would love to go a bit more into the the financing. But idea. there's only one Bloor Street West, and there's yeah. only
2: one building with no columns and pillars, and yeah, right. So you, you pay for what you get. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the, the process of, of capital structuring on a building like that. Even at the, the land acquisition stage, you uh, can't do
2: it in one shot. It's it's piece. You exactly. have uh, multiple people. Uh, I was gonna say, and it's syndication. It's too big. It's it's way too big. big. I mean, I we're mean, doing look, a big project. The maximum you, limits in Canada for a bank is 100 million out of Skede. A. Yep. So, you know, on a project over a billion dollars, which, which uh, the one is, you know, you would need, you know, 11 banks. <laughs> mm. skedi- you know, you need 11 banks at 100 there, million. Is there 11 Sked a? <laughs> we don't have there? it, yeah, right? So it it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a Canadian bank deal. Uh, it's too large, it's too big. And um, it required very um, different financial engineering to do it, which was to basically do it in multiple pieces and to do it in phases um, in order to be able to pull it together. It's just, it's too big for one. So we did it in, you know, multiple, um, um, pieces. And so we have, you know, many lenders on it and they're all in different positions and, and that's just what it took to do it because it's just too big to do it with one lender. You just can't do it. Right. So there's many different components in it, you know, uh, two hundred million here, twelve million, uh, two, another two hundred million, another three hundred million, another, and then you add it all up, and you know you have a, you know over a billion. But you you just can't do it with um, what I would say conventional construction mm-hmm. finance. I mean, there's nothing conventional about this building. No. Yeah. Right. So neither will the financing be. Uh, you know, the financing is as sophisticated uh, as the building's engineering. You know it's 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 just again not been done before in canada and everybody was very you know and, and a lot of people didn't think we were going to be able to do it um because nobody had built a building in one tower that was over a billion dollars right you know you've done it over multiple towers Different over phases, phases yep. but not in one building in one tower so we really um in a lot of cases you know we became this the, the largest um uh, pieces in a lot of people's portfolios because we were you know really um, maxing out in, in every area and, and, peop- and, and a lot of lenders wanted to be part of it mm-hmm. because of the fact that they were part of something that they saw was um, going to be very iconic and very important and they wanted to help right. and, and uh, to, to make the vision happen. So we ended up getting lenders who really came who um, wanted to see this project be successful and, to, and, 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 and every lender that we brought in were very sophisticated uh, you can imagine at this level and this size. Right. And they knew the constraints. Mm-hmm. And they knew the um, limitations we'd, we'd, we'd be facing. And, and so uh, they wanted to f- like figure financially? Out, Like financially? Yeah, in terms the of ban- constraints okay. of how banking system works and right. how max lim- yeah. syndications work and how max limits work. And so they were helping us to engineer how to do this right. uh, uh, because they wanted to see this happen. And it was a win-win scenario because all of our interests were aligned right, which was to see the successful completion of the building. Mm. And knowing what the limitations are, again, creates that creativity to figure out, okay, let's figure out how to do it, and let's figure out how to do it together. And um, I was very, very blessed and very grateful that um, we had lenders that came in that were um, there to support the vision and to take it, and every one of them uh, played a very key role in specific times to um, have the project go forward and and you know lenders that came in at the beginning were very important because they were there you know before we had the leasing done before we had the mm-hmm. uh, uh pre-sales yeah. done before we had and then we had lenders that came in at different you know different times so every one of them played a very significant role
1: and it's all being done under i guess different commitment letters and if it's that different, which is yeah, which it's, is it's it's strange because usually like a lead lender would be like even with a syndicate yeah. you'll see like a, an a an b structure where you get a couple lenders together and even more letters oh, we have letter. we have an A piece, a B piece, C piece, <laughs> yeah. D
2: piece. You know, we've got you know multiple letters in the first you know four or five letters of the alphabet in our piece. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> and, sure. then,
1: and then in terms of construction draws, though, I guess with uh, typically you got you got one group that's that's handling paying that out. But if you're getting it from multiple sources in different no, it's, members, one, it's one it's one it's one, one group. Lead it's one, lead lead. one loot. Yeah, it's one lead. It's, that it's one, that one lead. It. Okay. Yeah, that great. Runs it. Great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's
2: and that's you know and that's the government of China. Like they came in. Uh, and that was one of the big uh, lenders. It was sovereign, basically, mm. uh, because at, at this level, um, you know, you're dealing with basically state-owned enterprise and yeah. and uh, and uh, the construction lender. It's so it's in. Bank of China, you said? Or? It, it's the no, it's, no, the, it's government the government of China. Of China. Okay, yeah. it's not saying. the bank; it's the actual government. Okay, I'm saying. <laughs> state-owned enterprise. <laughs> seen that. I mean, this stuff's public because it's you know <laughs> yeah, just they're know, know, just registered we're just on. site. we uh discussing this. Yeah, But uh, yeah, and and <laughs> That's cool. and again, you know, along with you know many other lenders in there, you know, but yeah.
1: Oh, that's awesome. No, I ah. was just wondering like is <laughs> it credit union groups that are in there? Is it no, banks? Is no. it foreign lenders? What is it? How does it yeah, work? You, you
2: get into basically at this level, um, insurance companies life, okay. and life, life co code Well yeah. insurance companies, uh, REITs that yep. were in there, um, public companies that funds are, in here, yeah, yeah, funds and, are in there and governments.
0: Is this you that's going around like yes. I'm picturing, yeah. Yes. Bobby Axelrod go, stepping in <laughs> 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 boardroom and you know, well, Sam Mizrahi going into the boardroom so and <laughs> exactly, so, yeah. 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 doing it. And yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: Basically so. raise the financing that way.
0: Okay. Uh, I'm excited in my career. And Sim's career, we're gonna have some billion-dollar projects. Amen. We're gonna. Say, Amen. Okay, we're gonna uh, yeah. I, I know I, a guy who worked, can help us. I had with a that. chance
1: to work on one of them, and it was a, an awesome experience. We did it with a foreign lender uh, as well, but uh, 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 you it's know, it's impossible to do it with Canadian lenders, as you said there. Well, it, it's not. It's n- not. It's not to say that
2: uh, it's impossible. It, it's, it's just. It's.
1: It's. It's. I think
2: when you do something like this, it it forces change, and it it and you know we were pioneering it, and I think what it'll do, it'll inspire. Uh, to have these types of uh, resources available uh, for these types of projects, and to right. allow entrepreneurs to be able to execute them, right? And like you see it in the U.S. all the time, and um, and you see it around the world globally, right? So why can't we do it here in Canada? Right. It's just it wasn't done before, so we came out and we're doing it, and um, and I believe that it's going to inspire and make change to allow um, for these institutions to be able to do it. And before mm-hmm. they didn't do it because nobody had done it before,
1: right? Yeah. Oh, there's so many there's so many firsts that uh that, right. that And everybody tells you here. can't
2: be done, right? Until somebody does it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then after you do it, so, it, oh, look right. it
1: out. Yeah, it's look at how yeah it's done already yeah. yeah so um, we gotta yeah we'll wrap it up here in a sec i just wanted to ask a couple quick ones more i mean this project it's really the sort that Toronto to to it it's really it's sort of toronto to being in that London, New mm-hmm. York category. Absolutely. Um, so do you think that, th- that right now Toronto is already in that, in that stage and in that? Or, and do you think that there's any other projects that you see coming about that will help elevate us into that, that I category? Think, I think
2: we are now 100% uh, you know, broken the ice to have Canada be on the international map in terms of architecture. Mm. Um, you know, we did that many years ago with the CN Tower. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, CN Tower <laughs> you know, uh, today, even forget about its time, is an architectural masterpiece in terms of landscape architecture. You look at it in the yes. cityscape. So I think you know Toronto and Canada had already done that you know, decades ago. And I think this is now, again, uh, so sort of like a second wind coming back out to have those types of aspirational, architectural cityscape, landscape mm-hmm. architecture come back up like the one and many others that'll mm-hmm. come up. You look at you know a lot of developments across Canada and, and um, um, I think it's just going to inspire to do more of it. And that's what I hoped for. With after the one is that I hope that we see more buildings like this where you're you're raising the you know um, the bar and and uh, wanting to achieve you know um, uh, to do things that we hadn't done before and to really push our limits Mm. and um, And to create something that's going to make a really positive impact uh, for not only the community and city of whichever developers doing it but for the entire country and to have it compete on an international level mm-hmm. in terms of um you know what we've done and I, and I think uh, we're well
0: underway. Yeah. Um should I should I close it out? I just want Yeah,
1: to be yeah we, like we
2: want to be respectful of, time. of your no, time here. Like, um, so I'm having fun, so. <laughs> <That's Yeah. enjoyable. laughs>
0: yeah. Um so 416 units you have. <laughs> you know that was on purpose, right? Yes. Yeah. coverage. <laughs> hey. Oh, oh, four really, six. oh really? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, 416. Yeah, 416 right. uh, so four like four the six. Um so and it, you have uh i guess around 100 units left or so just around we've uh, just yeah just under 100 units now just yeah. under 100 okay so uh go out and buy them yeah uh, if there's anything uh, like this show well there's no more i'll re- be re- buying yeah i mean there's really there's no more <laughs> but, uh, re-
2: like i can't replicate this again right so um it's
0: really um it's really one of a kind right the one yeah. uh okay so this is uh should i do the final question or did you have one more.
1: I, I could keep doing this for an hour, and I don't okay. think we want to do it for another hour here. Just okay. <laughs> Sam's gonna uh, kill me. So yeah. Uh, why don't we get Why don't we get to it?
0: Um, so the, really exciting, and we appreciate you being here. This is our this is our final question. It's called sure. the three truths. Yeah. Um, so imagine years from now, you live to be 150 years old, and uh, very long and successful. Even the things that you have on that that would. Eclipse even this project, right? Everything is is you achieve everything that you've ever wanted to do, and um, but for whatever reason, it's your it's your last day, and your entire family is around you, your kids, your grandkids, so
1: and for some reason you're surrounded by all your family, and for some reason all of the content that you've ever put out, including interviews, podcast discussions, any piece of content, it's all gone. Yes, uh, and you have one ch- one. Last thing to say, and it's three things actually, specifically to your loved ones about whether it be advice on how you should live your life, um, what they should be looking for, and what they should three. be doing. It's called the three truths. Yeah,
0: three three kind of principles that you live by.
1: So, what would you? You can take a second there to think about. It, but what would you say those three truths or principles that you would want your family, friends, etc., to hear? I would you? say
2: um, it's interesting. Nobody's ever asked me that. Um, I would say. The first one would be what you would want and what's most important to me is make sure that every single person that comes into contact with you comes away being better off than they were before. Hmm. Don't ever have anybody come into... You never want somebody to come into contact with you or your brand or your company and to say they were worse off than before. Hmm. Um, I would say my own personal value system that I would tell... And teach my children are have every single person that comes into contact with you feel that they were better off knowing you than they were before um and if you have that as your moral compass you're always going to make the right choices or you should generally make the right choices and Mm. have that as a guiding principle um i would say the second one that's a very fundamental one for me is um not to ever give up on your dreams and um you know most people fail in whatever, it, you know, anytime I failed at something, if I gave up on it. And so I think resiliency and, and if you really, you know, are passionately have a dream and, d- you know, don't give up on it and execute it because that's, you know, why we're here. Mm-hmm. Right. State that's the determined. way I believe where I were here is to right. actually execute and live our dreams. Right? Yeah. This is the heaven. Right. Mm. So, um, and, um, and I think, you know, on a third one, um, it's really put your partners first and partners are everyone from your wife, your children, um, financial partners, business partners, life partners. Mm-hmm. Um, I think anytime if you put, you know, even customers any, any, anybody put the person you're dealing with first. And I think when you do that, really magical things happen. And, um, generally again, um, that value system brings out the best in people and when you put others first they'll put you first generally right and so um Mm reciprocal yeah and 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 it always takes one person to do it and to start that and most people are fearful of doing that but when you do and you put your partner's interests first
0: um you can achieve i think greatness awesome
1: that was, a, that was a damn good answer. Yeah, <laughs> we, cer- we
0: <laughs> certainly feel better off yeah. for, for having had this conversation with you. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, it was fun. Good luck with the rest of the project. If, if
1: there's thank anything you. um, that you'd like, uh, links, or, or anything that you want uh, people to reach sure. out to you on, let's say it's uh, l- they're looking to buy something, we'll put the information below just yeah. so that they can get information on the one and on any other projects that you're working on. Yeah, It'd be a pleasure. Thank Great. you.
0: Thanks, Sam. Thank Thanks, you. Sam. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. If you got value from this, please give us
1: a like, share, a subscribe, uh, pass it on to a friend. Have an amazing day.